If you would, please turn the Scriptures to Philippians chapter 4. We will close out our study in the book of Philippians today as Paul brings his letter to a close. And uh, two weeks from now, we will begin a series in the book of Exodus. So I would encourage you to be reading in Exodus. It's a long book. I'm not sure that we'll do the whole book at this particular time. I'll know better after this coming week sort of how we'll approach that. But, um, but it would be good for you to spend time in that book as we together spend time in that book uh, beginning uh, in two weeks. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, as Paul brings his letter to a close, he, he returns back to sort of the, one of the primary reasons why he was writing. He was offering thanks. He was offering thanks to them for the gift that they had given to him that they sent to him via Epaphroditus. And, uh, and so he, he returns to that theme. He, of course, uh, did not spend his entire letter uh, on that theme, but returns to it here as he closes of this letter. He had just spoken to them. He, he begins that in verse 10, talking about their giving to him. But, um, but he wanted to, to do some teaching and instruction there about joy and contentment. And the reality that his joy and his contentment was not rooted in the gift that they gave uh, to him, but rather it was the fact that he didn't, didn't really even need their gift. God supplied his needs and would supply his needs, and he had learned to be content regardless of the circumstance, whether he had barely enough or he had more than enough. He had lived in both situations and circumstances, and so he, he sort of sets that out. It, it, it's not your gift that makes me joyful and content. Uh, however... He does want to thank them for his gift, for the gift. He did, he did, uh, it was a way in which God supplied his needs. Uh, throughout chapter 4, though, Paul is focused upon joy and contentment. But joy and contentment are, is rooted not in what they supply for him, but it's rooted in the reality that, that he lives under the reality that God is present with him. Uh, he, it speaks of God's power and his strength. He also speaks here, particularly, of God's provision. So those are the things in which he, his joy and contentment are rooted. But he is grateful to them for their concern. He is grateful to them for their gift. And he wants them to know that his gratitude, however, goes beyond the gift itself. His gratitude is more rooted in the things that they, in what it demonstrates. It is a demonstration of something far deeper than simply their generosity and their concern for him. But it's a demonstration of God's grace, which is at work in them and in their hearts, and he sees that by the reality of their gift. So we're turning now our attention to chapter 4, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. I remind you again, this is the very word of God. Please follow along as I read. We'll be referring to the text a few times, and so I'd like for you to have it in front of you. So Philippians 4, verse 14. Yet, so, so I didn't need your gift. I'm grateful that you sent it, but it was very kind of you to share my trouble, he says. And you Philippians, yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, I, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, 
And this is sort of a reminder of what he said in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes on to say in his final greetings, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And thus he closes his letter. Would you pray with me? Father, we come asking for your help. As we do every Lord's Day, we ask for your help that we might understand your word. And not just understand it, Lord, but we might hear you speak through it. That we, in whatever situation or circumstance we are in, we would come under the hearing and the preaching of your word so that we would be attendant to your voice, be attendant to your will as it comes forth in your word read and preached. We pray your grace to us that you would enable us by your spirit to discern your voice. Lord, use the frail means of preaching, the frail means of this particular preacher to accomplish the task of saying to your people what you would say. Give us hearts to hear and certainly give us hearts that are willing then to apply what you say to us, to our very lives, that we might honor and glorify Christ in all we do and say. We ask these things in his name. Amen. My oldest daughter... um, she always lamented the fact of adulting, you know, becoming an adult. One of the things about adulting that she did not like was money. She always had this phrase, I hate money. And she only used that phrase when, you know, she began to understand how much things cost. And so when, when, she, when she's uh, going to college and she's realizing she's got to take out some loans because we can't, we can't do everything. In fact, I think Sherry and I, we had to take out loans as well. And uh, so we tried to help, but there's no way we were going to be able to help with everything. So she was having to take out loans, take on expenses. Uh, Grandpa gave her a, a, a nice car. It was a pretty large Buick LeSabre, uh, gas guzzler. But, but she, you know, she had our credit card, and she could put, you know, fuel on the credit card. But I think what it was is she began to realize how much things cost, and even though we were we were paying much of many of her bills, she still she felt awful about that. She felt bad that she was dependent upon us, that she was costing us so much, because life costs so much. And of course, as she went through college, she did various things like, you know, I had to go to Walmart and buy some things that you need. Uh, various things like uh, eventually I'm going to pay rent, you know, and, and live in a house with some other girls and, and things such as that. And so this awareness of money and how much things cost, it, it made her hate money, it made her hate money, which is, uh, you know, somewhat understandable because you realize that money is something that you need to live on, but it's not always available for the things that you need, want desire, would like to have. Some would say that money is a necessary evil, and that's sort of what I was hearing her say. I hate money. 
a necessary evil. But that is not what Scripture says. Scripture says that money is not evil. Rather, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Uh, Paul says that in 1 Timothy 6.10. The reality is whether we hate money because we need it and don't have it, or we love money because we want what it can do for us, no one can deny that our attitudes about money show us much about our hearts. It really does. But it's not so much how we spend our money that reveals our hearts, but rather our hearts are more revealed in how we give our money and whether or not we do give. Money is powerful. And the reason that it is the root of all kinds of evil is that it provides self-sufficiency and it can easily become a God replacement. If I am self-sufficient, do I need God? Do I need His provision? All I got to do is work hard, earn my keep, make my own way. Money gives a person the capacity to live life independent from God. Turning us from being dependent creatures to actually God-like providers for our own needs and perhaps for the needs of our family. Jacques Ellul said this, very insightful statement. There is one act above all others which profanes money. That is, it, it takes the sacredness out of it. It takes the sacred status of money away. And, and this one act does this by going directly against the law of money. It is an act for which money was not made. It is the act of giving. Now think about that. We earn money in order to live. We don't necessarily earn money in order to give. That's not a natural thing that we do. And yet it's the one thing that turns money from being this sacred thing it becomes a God replacement potentially to the thing that makes it a tool that is useful to us to provide for our lives, but then also to provide for a kingdom work. Paul wants you to know that God's grace at work in believers will produce sacrificial giving and grateful receiving. We see these things in this text. In fact, there's another thing that we see in this text. So three things we will look at. Grace-filled giving, grace-filled receiving, and grace-filled provision. Let's think together first about grace-filled giving. And we see this idea of giving in verses 14 through 16. Here, note the phrase in verse 15, uh, the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel. What that means is Paul, Paul is recounting to them when the gospel first came to them, he, he wants to remind them that that is when things change. That is when their attitudes towards money changed. It's when the gospel first came to you. 
You might recall in Acts chapter 16 when uh, Paul and some of his cohorts ended up in Philippi. And who did they meet there? They went along the river. Remember, and every Sabbath day, there were some women that would come out by the river and they would worship God. Lydia was among those women. The scripture there talks about the gospel, Paul preaching the things that he said. God opened her heart to those things. And do you remember what she did in response? She opened her heart and her home to Paul and those who were with him. She's an illustration of God opening the hearts of the Philippians, not merely Lydia, but others there. Not simply to Paul himself, but also to the gospel that he proclaimed. And so as he states here in verse 15, they entered into a partnership with him. He said the same thing in chapter 1 and verse 5. And the partnership with him was specifically a partnership in the gospel. They supported Paul. Certainly they loved Paul, but they also loved the gospel. And they financially supported Paul as he went advancing the gospel. They wanted others to hear this glorious gospel that they themselves had heard. They wanted others to know the Lord that they now knew. They were motivated by this. Their giving to Paul was motivated by this. In chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul states there that they entered into this gospel-advancing partnership. They financially supported this gospel-advancing partnership from the first day, and it even continues unto now, he says. In verse 15, he mentions two specific occasions that they gave to him when he departed them. When I left you, when I left uh, Macedonia, uh, you entered into this partnership with me. You sent me on my way with funds to accomplish the task to which I was called. But he also mentions a second time that they gave is when he was in Thessalonica. And they sent to meet his needs there. See that in verse 16. In chapter 4, in verses 10 through 13, again, he talked about not particularly needing their gift and that he was content with what God provided. But here in verse 14, he does want them to know that he is grateful for their gift. He acknowledges that this is a way in which God has provided for his needs. And while he is content with little, as he declared in verses 10 through 13, he was nevertheless in distress. And he appreciated their providing relief from that distress. But he also knows that they themselves are in distress. Surely one of the sources of their anxiety that he addresses in chapter 4 and verse 6 is the experience of the external persecution that they are facing, and they have fear of their future. They have fear of their capacity to earn a living because that is likely at stake as they are persecuted. We know that under persecution, many lose their jobs and employment. So their giving here is generous. 
and it is sacrificial. They do not give from their abundance. They do not give from a secure future. They give because God had worked in their hearts through the gospel preached by Paul. And Paul was advancing this gospel message wherever God sent him. They gave because of God's work in their heart to apply the gospel to their hearts. And so they gave sacrificially as a grace-filled investment motivated by God's grace. They invested or they sacrificially contributed to this investment. God opened their hearts to receive Christ and they responded by opening their wallets to the advance of this gospel to others. So as God worked in your heart, as He worked in your heart, the gospel itself, as He brought the gospel to bear upon you, has He opened your heart to the saving work of Christ? Has He reconciled you to Himself? Are you now sacrificially investing in giving money for the cause and the advance of the gospel? The gospel and grace that comes in the gospel will cause us to give sacrificially. But there's also grace-filled receiving in this passage. And so we look at the second thing. That we see in verses 17 and 18 where Paul recognizes that the gift is not given simply to provide for his needs. But the gift in fact is a demonstration of God's work in the Philippians. And it is this that is more a gift to Paul than the money that he received from them. Paul states this plainly in verse 17. It's not that I seek the gift, but what I really seek. And what I revel in seeing, the thing that causes me to rejoice, is the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wants to make it clear. He is not thanking, thanking them for and reminding them of their partnership so that he can receive more from them. Keep it coming because, you know, I have needs. No, in fact, he goes beyond, he goes at pains here in verse 18 to say, look, I've received full payment, even more than full payment. I am well supplied. Don't give me any more, he's saying to them. I'm okay. I'm content. I have what I need. Your generous gift means that I am well supplied. He's grateful for this gift, but he wants them to know that he is even more grateful for what this gift demonstrates. Their giving is fruit. It is a demonstration. It is, it is things that he sees. It's fruit that increases to their credit. That is, their giving is more than simply meeting Paul's needs. You know, to send money to the poor missionaries because they need our help. That's more than that. What he sees is that their giving, their sacrificial giving, is actually an act of worship. He's language. He has this accounting language. Um, gift, my accounts, partnership. All of these are kind of accounting terms. 
He says, I have received full payment. I am well supplied, having received. So it's you know, give and take. Uh, th th these are accounting terms. But look how he transforms those by the end of verse 18. They're actually an act of worship, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is why he is even more grateful for what is demonstrated by their gift than he is in the gift itself. They are putting their money where their hearts are. And their hearts are with the Lord. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this generous and sacrificial giving showed that their treasure was God. And so their gift was an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Fragrant offering. Paul recognized that their gift was not really about him. It was not really about meeting his needs, but it was fruit. It was a demonstration that they valued and treasured God and his kingdom. What good would that do to Paul's heart who preached and proclaimed the gospel to them to see this kind of effect of the gospel upon them? Not that he's getting money from them, but that they are investing in the kingdom. They value the advance of the gospel. He's greatly encouraged by this, very thankful to be able to see this. We had a missionary here just last week. And we will have a few more here at the end of March. These are folks who need to raise their own support, right? And they go, and they go and spread the gospel. I want you to realize that when they thank us for the gift, even though some of our gifts to them are very small, they're a very small portion of what they need to raise, you to realize that they are very sincere in their gratitude. Not simply because you are supporting them, you are financially giving to them, or we as a church are, but they are grateful because this demonstrates that you value the same things that they value, the advance and the cause of the gospel. The fact that we give is of greater encouragement than even the amount that we give to these missionaries, I am sure. They sincerely mean they are thankful. Because they know and recognize, as Paul does here, that it is an act of worship. It's one of the reasons why we actually include the offering in, part of, in our worship service. It is an act of worship when we give for the cause of Christ. You're not merely providing needed funds to pay the ministers, to maintain the building, to fund our missionaries, but you are participating in acts of worship showing in a very tangible way where your treasure is. And this act of worship is a demonstration of God having opened your heart. It is the fruit of His grace in you. But it is also a recognition of His grace-filled provision. We see this third thing in verses 19 and 20. 
grace-filled provision. God will supply all our needs, material and spiritual. And my God, Paul says, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Of course, to God be the glory. Paul realizes that God provides for his needs. That's one of the reasons why he is content. In verses 10 through 13, he is content because he knows that God gives him exactly what he requires, what he needs. Whether it is a provision with abundance or it's provision with just enough. Paul's content because he knows God meets his needs. God promises to provide what Paul needs, and he has done so. And it's not just the material things that Paul needs, but he also provides his presence. He also provides his strength. When Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a reference to the strength of Jesus that we see in verse 21, the power of Christ that actually is putting everything in subjection to himself. That very power enables Paul to be content, to be at peace, to even be joyful in all manner of circumstances, whether they are pleasant circumstances with abundance or they are difficult circumstances where he is even hungry. And so Paul here wants to encourage the Philippians that though they are experiencing distress and though they face an uncertain, maybe even a fear-inducing future, God, because of His abundant grace, because of His rich supply, because they are united to Jesus, thus the phrase there, you see it, in Christ Jesus, it's a reference to their union with Christ, because these things are true, that God has such an abundant supply, and because we are united to Jesus, He will provide and supply every need. Surely He's talking here about spiritual needs, but He is also speaking here of our material needs. Every need we have. Out of the abundance of His riches, both material and spiritual riches, He will give each of us what we need. Now, this is not health and wealth. Remember, Paul is in prison. Paul is awaiting trial in order to determine his fate, whether he will live or die. No health and wealth there. But his material needs, not his wants, his spiritual needs, things such as endurance and patience and peace and contentment and assurance of God's grace and love and presence, and even the fellowship of the saints, these spiritual needs or spiritual supplies, God gives to him and has provided for him. He wants to encourage them that God will likewise provide for them, even as they are facing and will likely even face more distress of their own. This is yours. This is yours because you are united to Jesus. You are united to His greatest treasure, God's greatest treasure. 
His Son. Christ was God's greatest act of generosity. Again, God Himself modeling for us the very things to which are being demonstrated in the giving, the generosity, the sacrificial generosity of the Philippians. Christ, God's greatest act of generosity, because of Jesus, we're reconciled to God. Because of Jesus, we will not die. Because of Jesus, we have an eternal inheritance of life and joy in the presence of God, along with all the saints of God. Because of Jesus, you have God Himself as your good Father. Thus, Paul concludes this section with a little doxology here. We see in verse 19, I mean, verse 20. Doxology acknowledges not only glory to God, but glory to our God and glory to our Father. The reality is, brother and sister in Christ, He is yours. The Father is yours. Christ Jesus is yours. All that Christ Jesus has is yours. He belongs to you. But likewise, you belong to Him. He is yours and you are His. Honestly, materially and spiritually, what more do you and I need? Because that is true. What more do you and I need? We must evaluate the things that we demand from God in light of what He has given to us already. And He who did not spare His own Son, He who did not spare His greatest treasure, will He not surely, surely, surely give to you all things? what the Scriptures say. Do we believe what the Scriptures say? When God's grace is operative in our lives, we will give sacrificially, recognizing that giving is actually an act of worship. That we're giving not just to the church, not just to a missionary, not just to a mission organization, but we are actually giving to God. And we can give sacrificially because God, our Father, will provide and supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. It is no wonder. And should we not be able to join Paul in saying, verse 20, to our God and Father indeed be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we do come. Uh, we acknowledge that your scriptures are clear about the ways in which you provide for your people. The ways in which um, you meet the needs of those who belong to you. Lord, we, we see that. We see that in scripture. We 
we'll sing in a moment uh, that you are our shepherd, that we shall not want, and yet, Lord, we struggle. Would you please, by the power of your Spirit, the truth of your Word, impress upon our hearts the reality that what you say is true, that we might experience that in our lives. We pray that this would fuel and fund gospel proclamation, gospel reflection, as we send resources, as we proclaim and reflect the gospel ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would advance the cause of your Son, that you would extend his kingdom, his rule, his reign, even in this place where we live, because we give sacrificially. We pray your grace upon us that we would be a generous people. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.